Week 14 is officially in the books. Week 15 is officially here. The Bears just lost to the Packers. Probably a not-so-fun fact, but it's also a fact that's true. The Bears have not won at Lambeau Field since 2015. So the last time the Bears won at Lambeau Field was when John Fox was the head coach. And none other than Ryan Pace was still the general manager. So there's a lot going on. I'm pretty sure it was also... Obama was president at the time, too. That's just a fun little fact. So we've gone through, what, two presidential regimes, and yeah, the Bears still haven't won at Lambeau Field. But what's up, guys? Welcome into the Fireside Bears podcast. Hussein Koshal alongside Sam Stevenson here. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Fireside Bears. You can follow myself and Sam on Twitter at Usaid Koshal and at Shy Sports Sam. There's no Joe tonight. He is busy at a Christmas party where he got a gift. I haven't been to a Christmas party in forever, nor do I plan on attending any just because holiday season this time of year for me is football season. So I'm working seven days a week, guys. But what's up, Sam? Uh, nothing much. Uh, 2015, man, I... During that time, I think I was taking my first ever high school finals. I think was the last time when the Bears won. Uh, I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, I had pneumonia back then. I took my first finals ever, like, deathly ill. But uh, that is a really, really long time. Holy smokes. Um, but I'm happy to be here. Obviously, Joe the Slacker is not. But um, in all seriousness, I hope he's having fun. And... Uh, I mean, I've missed plenty of episodes because of the lacrosse, so I can't say too much. But uh, happy to be here. Not super excited to talk Bears, but, uh, you know, it is what we love doing. It is our passion, and uh, there's a lot to break down and discuss. So let's get into it. I mean, let's start with this, the Bears' offensive explosion in the first half. Because when you look at this game just from the standpoint of the Bears' game plan, I mean, we have to kind of wind back a bit here. Number one, I think that going into this week and just looking at this game at Lambeau Field, no one really thought the Bears had a chance. And again, this is going back to when the schedule came out, as well as just leading up to the game when the Bears had lost six of their last seven. But the offensive explosion, I think, is intriguing here because when you look at the box score, I mean, the Chicago came out, they scored 24 points in the second quarter. I don't know when the last time is that the Bears had 24 points in a single quarter, let alone in a first half. And I know that sounds bad because the Bears offense is just so terrible. But when you look at this game, a lot of people have to understand that this was the offense. The offense that you saw out there was kind of the offense that Matt Nagy's wanted ever since he arrived in Chicago four seasons ago. And let me clarify and expand on that. I'm not saying that Matt Nagy was the guy calling the plays, even though his head is buried in a play sheet sometimes. But what I am saying is this, is that if you look at the Bears' offensive game plan in the first half on Sunday night, you saw a lot of short, quick passes to playmakers in space and then just having the playmakers do the rest. Another team that's consistently done that over the last couple of years is the Kansas City Chiefs. And really in this offense, yards after the catch continues to matter more than anything. So this was kind of the offensive explosion and offensive vision that Matt Nagy's always wanted just on display on Sunday night. Because when you look at the time of possession, guess what? The Bears only had the ball 25 minutes the entire game. So they were scoring and they were scoring quickly and they were just moving the ball in chunk plays. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I can't offer too much to add here because I was working during the first half of the game. 
Um, and when I finally got a chance to look at the score, the Bears were up 10-0. As soon as I tweeted that the Bears were up, the Packers immediately went down and scored. Um, but you kind of bring up the, uh, the the concept of allowing your playmakers to make plays in space. You talk about the 54-yard touchdown from Demir Bird. Again, it was a quick slant route. Bird used his speed and his ability to break through this Packers secondary into the end zone. Uh, obviously, Jakeem Grant's uh, explosiveness was very helpful both on special teams and offense. And ultimately, having Justin Fields playing quarterback, you have a higher ultimate ceiling of play versus Andy Dalton. What I mean by that is you kind of know what you're going to get from Andy Dalton, and Andy Dalton's best is fine. His worst is not, you know, is not good. Um, but I like when when people when Fields is in the uh, is the starting quarterback. A lot of people like to say that the offense is volatile or, or fluid because I think ultimately you don't know what version of Fields you're going to get. And I think we got a pretty strong outing from from the young quarterback. I mean, he threw two touchdowns. I thought he was good on his legs. Um, obviously, still made some mistakes, but that's just going to happen. I think he was pressured in total like 54% of all snaps. Um, but there's been some learning there because ultimately, I think if you compare the Justin Fields against Cleveland, which I really liked this comparison to the Justin Fields of now, there's been improvements in terms of getting pressure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was an offense that has potential, and I think a lot of that stems from Fields. Uh, ultimately, again, I think the Bears scored less than 10 points in the second half. So ultimately it came down to a lot of mistakes in the second half. The defense starting to kind of fall apart, but that first half performance was pretty respectful overall. Again, I wish I would have been able to watch more of it. I got to watch the first possessions, which were both punts. And then I had to go back to work. And when I checked the bears were up 10 zero. So can't really offer too much else, but there, um, but I agree with what a lot you said with a lot of what you said, you said um, definitely a, a strong outing in that first half, at least. Yeah, it really was a strong outing. I mean, when you kind of look at the possession-by-possession possession chart, you realize, okay, first play ends in a punt. And then after that, you have field goal, touchdown, interception, touchdown, which was the pick six. And then you have touchdown and field goal. So realistically, I mean, the Bears scored on basically four straight possessions or like four or six possessions in the first half, which again is another completely rare thing. And I want to talk about just for a second regarding the kind of touchdowns to Demir Bird and Jakeem Grant. So number one, when you look at the touchdown to Jakeem Grant, if you remember in 2019 week one, when the bears were playing the Packers at soldier field, what had happened is this is that pass right there. I mean, the play that the bears called for Tariq Cohen, which he fumbled on, it's the exact same concept that they called for Jakeem Grant. The only difference is Jakeem Grant actually held on to the football. And then number two, when you look at Demir Bird, there were a lot of looks in this game on Bird's 54-yard touchdown that he scored. There were so many different looks in this game that we hadn't seen before and so many different plays that were called. The Bears have three really good running backs that were all at full strength on Sunday night in Khalil Herbert, Damian Williams, and David Montgomery. So theoretically, you would think that when this team is running any sort of 21 personnel or 22 personnel, you are effectively, or 20 personnel for that matter, what you're effectively looking at is the possibility that the Bears have either David Montgomery and Damian Williams, with Williams being the receiving back, or David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert. Never are you going to, very rarely we ever see Khalil Herbert and Damian Williams in the backfield. 
unless it's Wildcat. But, well, in the backfield together, I should say to clarify. But the point is, is having Demir Bird line up as a running back behind the line of scrimmage really kinds of signals that the Bears were using different looks in this game, which is stuff we've never seen before, right? I don't remember the last time that this happened where the Bears had two running backs lined up in the backfield and all of a sudden, boom, they run an angle route towards the middle of the field. You expose the lack of speed on the Packers linebacker unit, and then all of a sudden you take it to the house. And so those different looks, we have to understand something, is that Matt Nagy's not going to be back in 2021, right? I'm sorry, in 2022. But those are still things that incoming head coaches can kind of look at and say, oh, okay, so this was a play where Justin Fields excelled and he absolutely hit it quickly. That's a route concept. That's a play design that we can kind of build off of. And then what really sticks out, and I don't think anyone's talked about, is this is Justin Fields, you know, he leads the Bears down the field for a touchdown. And then the Packers score a touchdown. And then Fields gets picked off by Rasul Douglas. And then just... Three to four plays later, Fields responds with another touchdown. And that touchdown right there, the one to Demir Bird, is so significant because it showcases that even when a mistake is made that can swing the game, because that's what happened with Rasul Douglas's pick six, Justin Fields isn't phased by it, and that's what you want. So you're seeing a really confident quarterback come into Hallisall every day and play at an incredibly high level. Overall, though, when you look at Justin's performance, I mean, you had some good, some bad. So this was a typical rookie game, but hey, he was also the reason the Bears scored 24 points in the first half. I'm sorry, 27 points in the first half to against the Green Bay Packers, and he basically went toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers. So at the end of the day, when you look at Justin Fields, was this a game that he can build off of? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think I like the the idea you mentioned uh, with, with confidence I, I, you know, it's it's unfortunate I have to keep comparing Fields to Trubisky, but I have to. I don't think if that's a Trubisky-led offense that he comes down and responds the way he does with that pick six. I, I just truly don't think that's the case. And I think ultimately sometimes that confidence gets a little bit over his head and he makes some kind of questionable throws in my mind. But ultimately you want that confidence from a young quarterback because you know the potential is there. And again, I also like that you talked about kind of the Bears utilizing some new looks, the Bears utilizing more of their talent. We've we've spoken very highly of this running back room uh, pretty much since all run, the all three running backs were acquired. Obviously, Montgomery was on the team last year, but the Bears have had this talent for all this year and have failed to use it up until this point properly. And I think that's a frustrating thing because – where were these schemes a few weeks ago? Again, I understand guys were hurt, but like a guy that we've talked about is Khalil Herbert. Khalil Herbert got more involved with the offense and on special teams, but that wasn't the case a few weeks back. So again, I truly think Matt Nagy had to play his entire hand here. Um, Obviously, again, I think ultimately he was a main factor in why the Bears ended up not winning this game in the second half. Um, obviously one of the biggest things being not going for it on fourth and inches with plenty of time left. But I think ultimately the, the first half offense is a bears offense that I think can be a reality in 2022. And even for the rest of the year, the bears strength of schedule, the best team they're probably playing for the rest of the year is arguably the Minnesota Vikings. And again, I think the Seahawks are trying to start to find their shape. I think the giants is a winnable game. There is a lot of potential for this Bears offense to truly explode and take off a little bit the rest of the season. 
And ultimately, when you're looking at a team that's four and nine, that's one of the few things that you can actually continue to look for when you watch a Bears game every single weekend. So very, very promising, lots of potential. I'm happy with the performance of the first half with the Bears offense, but ultimately things did spiral out of control, and we now have to ultimately talk about what the heck happened in the second half of the game because that's the half of the game that I actually got a chance to watch. So before we kind of go out and or switch over to why the Bears defense broke down in the second half, you mentioned something there about how there could be an offensive explosion. And I, I want to clarify something here because it's very clear that a lot of people are looking at this Bears roster and they're saying, okay, well, Matt Nagy's out. So the Bears are going to hit the reset button and whatever's going on in 2021 doesn't necessarily matter. It matters a hell of a lot because as a, when a new regime comes in, what they're trying to do is this, is make the most of players that haven't been acquired by them or players that they really have nothing to do with. Now, what's going to happen in the Bears case is this, is this new regime is going to walk in. There's going to be a couple building blocks on both sides of the football. But the point is, is that this new regime is going to want to use these last four games and kind of this Packers game, especially when you have guys like Justin Fields, Tevin Jenkins, and Larry Boren playing. We'll get to those guys in a couple minutes here. You want to be able to see what they do really well and what they just aren't the best at. So ultimately, these last couple games, even if there is an offensive explosion, it certainly matters because when you go look at the offense piece by piece, position by position, you realize that pretty much everybody's returning next season outside of Sam Mustafer, a questionable decision. Allen Robinson's gone. And then whatever happens with James Daniels happens. So you're realizing you're getting back about eight, 11 starters. And so when is the last time we really had that level of continuity on the bears offense where it's something to continuously build toward? Yeah. And I mean, I think ultimately too, you know, you talk about teams that continuity, you know, the Buccaneers were able to build something with that roster that they had. I love the example of, of them because then they then brought all those starters back in 2021. And now they're looking to once again compete in the NFC uh, NFC division. And I think ultimately, you know, the Bears make some tweaks to the offense, you know, bringing in maybe a more steady answer at center, re-signing Daniels or finding a replacement for him. And ultimately, should Allen Robinson walk, which I think at this point a lot of Bears fans are saying should happen. You bring in a replacement wide receiver one that pairs well with Darnell Mooney. You are ultimately going to look at a Bears offense that, again, like I mentioned, has some potential. And it's all going to come around Justin Fields because the biggest thing for him is consistency and continuity. I wrote a piece for this on Fanside. I'm not sure when it'll be out. Um, it might be out after this podcast airs. But, you know, I was talking about players that were brought in in 2021 that should absolutely be brought back in 2022. Um, and you look at some death pieces as well, like guys like Jesse James, who Fields has mentioned in in press conferences that he has, you know, some consistency with. Uh, a Marquise Goodwin, who has spoken very highly about Fields, and obviously I think was trending in a positive direction prior to his injury. So, if the death pieces are going to be potentially coming back, which could be a huge, you know, obviously cheap options for the Bears, the potential with Fields and his true starting core group on offense is exciting. Again, the future at the wide receiver one position is unknown. The future at positions like center and guard is unknown because we don't know what's going to happen with players like Sam Mustafer and James Daniels, like you alluded to. But ultimately, you know that Fields is starting to build connections with guys like Darnell Mooney, like David Montgomery. He's starting to have guys like Larry Borum kind of hit their stride. And, 
you know, we're going to talk about Tevin Jenkins a little bit more, but his first career start, there's obviously a lot of potential. And I actually think he played okay, despite kind of the negatives of his first NFL performance. But continuity is such an important thing, especially with a rookie quarterback. So I absolutely reflect of what you're saying. I agree with you here. You said I think it's very exciting to think about the potential this Bears offense could have as long as you bring in the right minds to run the offense. And the right minds will certainly be a major question for the Bears. But, hey, let's switch over to the offensive side of the ball, from the offensive side of the ball here, and then look at the defensive side of the ball. Because when you look at the defensive side of the ball, it was a rock-solid defense in the first half. And there were moments where, you know, you saw everyone getting involved from Robert Quinn to Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson just absolutely shut down Devontae Adams, held him to, I think, just 19 yards. And then in the second half, the Packers' offense kind of adjusted and the Bears didn't. Break that down for us, Sam. Adjustment is the biggest thing. I mean, I think Matt LaFleur is a very good head coach. I've spoken highly of him in the past. I know, obviously, that Packers' offense is Aaron Rodgers. But they were out with some guys, too, as well. And, and LaFleur is very good at making adjustments. And ultimately, they got Devontae Adams more involved. They got Alan Lazard more involved. And the Bears just didn't respond. Now, some of that critique falls to defensive coordinator Sean Desai. But again, ultimately, this is also a Bears defense that just isn't healthy. And you're continually to lose guys, whether it's through COVID or injuries. And ultimately, the whole concept of Ben don't break defense can only apply if your offense is also responding. The Bears only scored, what was it? I think it was six something points there ever was in the second half not a lot compared to the first half if your offense isn't able to put up a similar performance in the first half and you're out on the field more your defense can't be perfect forever against a high-powered Packers offense that does a good job of making adjustments and things aren't working perfect example they put Devontae Adams more in the slot the Bears had no response for that and ultimately you know Devontae Adams scored what was probably the touchdown that ended the game in one-on-one coverage against Jalen Johnson again Jalen Johnson had an absolutely fantastic first half performance, but even he can't hold down Devonta Adams forever. So it's very frustrating because again, I think if this Bears defense is a little bit healthier, they have guys like Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks back in. I think they're able to hold off this Packers offense a little bit longer, but you can't make excuses with injuries. And also ultimately some of this falls on Sean Desai as a defensive coordinator. And some of it also falls on Matt Nagy as the head coach. Not being able to make adjustments when things are working, and obviously the other team is going to adjust. This is a well-run Packers team, a well-coached Packers team, who is absolutely not going to lose a game on Sunday Night Football to their rival, the Chicago Bears, who on paper are a worse team in all three phases of the ball. So it was ugly. Again, I think health is absolutely a factor right now for the Bears, but it's not an excuse that you can really use because a lot of teams aren't healthy either. I mean, you look at a perfect example, Monday night football, the Los Angeles Rams were down a lot of key players, including star cornerback Jalen Ramsey. They held a Kyler Murray led offense that was pretty much completely healthy to 23 points, including two interceptions. That's pretty impressive considering that the Rams have struggled in a lot of these recent games against winning teams. So ultimately, it's it, it's just, it comes down to coaching. It comes down to making adjustments yourself. The Bears did neither of those. And that's why we're sitting here talking about how they lost by 15 to the Green Bay Packers and why they continue to lose in Lambeau Field. Well, look, I mean, I think one of the major things when you look at why this Bears defense broke down the way it did in the second half is just look at how the Packers adjusted and adapted 
when it came to using Devontae Adams. At first, he was just on the outside, and now it's like, okay, you're moving him from the left side of the field to the right side of the field. You're moving him both in and out of the slot on both sides of the offensive line. And so when you look at something like that, you very quickly realize that the Packers had an answer for something that the Bears never really have had an answer for, which is or haven't had an answer for in 2021. Because when you go back and you watch both Devontae Adams touchdowns, both times he gets beaten or Devontae Adams ends up beating Xavier Crawford. And look, the issue, the Bears don't have enough cornerbacks as it is. They don't have enough good cornerbacks outside of Jalen Johnson. You can't expect to Sean Gibson along with Eddie Jackson to kind of go ahead and play in coverage as I yawn there because I've been up since 5 a.m., but you can't expect those guys to kind of go ahead and be in coverage every single time, right? So it's the cornerback's primary job to be able to stop some of these wide receivers. Unfortunately, the Bears don't have adequate slot cornerbacks. I know that a lot of Bears fans between 2019 and 2020, I believe, kind of went ahead and were like, okay, well, Buster Screen's the worst slot cornerback on the planet. But at the end of the day, I mean, let's just be honest about something. I don't think Buster was ever as bad as some people made him out to be. And certainly I think right now Buster screen would be an upgrade over a guy like Xavier Crawford. The issue with the bears comes down to this is that this team is just continuing to rely on these, not even second or third string cornerbacks, but more so these fourth string guys, these practice squad players that quite frankly, their only role on the team should be special teams players. And that's about it. I mean, and again, some of that blame also then goes to Ryan Pace because the Bears' plan this offseason was, well, you cut Kyle Fuller to bring back Jimmy Graham instead of doing vice versa. You know, obviously Fuller having a down year in Denver, but regardless, is probably better again than most of the corners on this team. You have no real solution to your slot corner. And again, injuries happen, but once injuries begin to happen, that's when you have to start patrolling the free agency market earlier in the season and finding guys that you can bring in or finding guys that you could potentially trade for. Again, when you don't invest money into arguably one of the key spots in your defense and a spot where you can find cheap and solid options in, these are the results you get. Right now, I think the Bears currently have two healthy corners on the defense right now in Kendall Vildor and Jalen Johnson. Uh, I imagine that they're going to finally maybe give Thomas Graham Jr. a shot I don't know if they're going to bring up Marquis Christian as well. I don't even know if he's healthy. But these are not long-term guys. I mean, your plan at cornerback two was to give Kendall Vildor a shot. Okay, well, that clearly didn't work. So what was your backup plan? You brought in Artie Burns. You know, you re-signed him this year. Well, that clearly isn't working. It is very frustrating to think about the fact that the Bears, you know, it's hard to to advocate signing a corner to a big deal. I, I totally understand that, especially with the way the Bears' defense was built and the way that the cap space was working. But again, you look back in a move where you cut Kyle Fuller over cutting Jimmy Graham. Again, which guy right now would be more valuable to this Bears team that is desperately have no has no depth on defense? Meanwhile, the Bears' tight end room, it's not like they've done anything special regardless. It's very, very frustrating. I'm not going to specifically single that point out, but it was just something that I thought of when we were talking about this. It's it's an ugly defense right now. It's an ugly defense that's plagued with injuries. Uh, COVID outbreaks are going on right now, and it's obviously frustrating for a lot of NFL teams, but this was the game plan 
since Ryan Pace made decisions he made in the offseason last year. You brought in Desmond Trufant as well, and then you cut him in towards the offseason for various reasons. I know he was injured, and I know this stuff came with his family. But, like, your your decisions were to bring in cheap veteran options. You didn't draft a corner until the sixth round of the NFL draft who has yet to play an NFL snap yet, and obviously I'm hopeful he'll play. And you basically said, all right, we're going to roll the dice on Kendall Vildor and see what happens. And again, it, it didn't work out. This was a failed experiment. If Vildor was playing well, we wouldn't be even having this conversation right now. But he has been the weakest link in the Bears defense. So you have to point fingers at Ryan Pace at this point a little bit because he spent the least amount of money in the league on the cornerback position, and he is paying the consequences for it as a result. Bears secondary is bad. Jalen Johnson's great. Bears secondary, bad. Yeah, look, look, trends can kind of tell us a lot about the current state of things, but when you look at the Bears from 2019 to 2020 to 2021, something you find in all three draft classes is that the Bears drafted a cornerback in 2019, all three seasons, really in the later rounds. Now, why do I bring that up? I bring that up because this was kind of right. That was Ryan Pace's continued attempt at being able to constantly develop cornerbacks and say, hey, you know what? We know at some point we're going to have to move on from Prince of Mucameras and Buster Screen, so here's a new body in Duke Shelley, 2020. Oh, well, bye-bye, Prince of Mucamera. Yeah, Kyle Foley, you're still here. Well, guess what? We'll just go out and grab Kendall Vildor as a cornerback who from Georgia Southern played on both the inside as well as the outside. Now 2021, what do you see? You see Thomas Graham Jr., incredibly tough and physical cornerback who can basically play anywhere in the defense and really even be a hybrid-style defensive back. But the reason I bring it up is because those were Ryan Pace's attempts at drafting a cornerback and developing, and unfortunately, it hasn't worked out as... The as much as a lot of people kind of hoped, and especially Ryan Pace. So now what do you do to combat this? You have to basically dip back into the talent pool next year and sign a veteran stopgap if the market plays out the way that you hope it does. Because if the Bears are able to go ahead and grab someone, let's just say, a veteran like Prince of Mucamara, or not Prince of Mucamara, but find a veteran the caliber of Prince of Mucamara, that's going to be a solid enough signing. And again, Prince of Mucamara in the two to three years he was here, he wasn't a bad cornerback by any means. He was more solid than a lot of people expected. It's just he dealt with nagging injuries towards the end of his time here in Chicago and now is bouncing around the league, or I think he might even be out of the league. But that's what you ultimately need. And you just have to draft some high draft, invest high draft picks into the cornerback position as well. Because it's like how Ryan Pace kind of handled cornerback by drafting and drafting and drafting in the later rounds. You see the same trend kind of happen with wide receiver, just in the sense that he's pretty much taken the wide receiver nearly every single year in the draft outside of like, 2019 and then I think 2016 or 17 one of those years where he just didn't draft a wide receiver so all but like two years and a lot of those late round guys were players like Tanner Gentry Javon Wims obviously Darnell Mooney's the only one that's panned out Daz Newsom is another one um but those a lot of those guys really have not panned out or they just haven't been given a proper shot or never really given a shot to show, hey, this is what I could do. Daniel Braverman's another one. So 
this kind of micromanaging and late round drafting has gotten the Bears to the point where it's like you're at the point of no return. You didn't invest enough high draft picks and premium capital into these positions. And then, boom, all of a sudden, now you're like scrambling to try and find a replacement. And you're going to go into an offseason where your cap space, you're going to have plenty of cap space, but then you're also going to have limited draft capital. So you're just going to have to find a fine line because whatever cap space you do have, that money should be going out to players like James Daniels, Bilal Nichols, and Roquan Smith. But kind of moving on here from resources in the Bears defense, I think Aaron Rodgers is an intriguing character because one minute he's telling Bears fans he owns them. The next minute he's basically saying, yeah, Justin Fields has all this qualities to be a star quarterback in this league. And the last time a Bears quarterback was praised by a future Hall of Famer was Tom Brady in 2018 when the Patriots came to Chicago to play. And Tom Brady basically talked about after the game how Mitch Trubisky did a lot of really good things and is continuing to ascend. Yeah, uh, it was uh, it was interesting because I think Aaron Rodgers is definitely an intriguing person, definitely a, a face of the league. But, you know, he's faced a lot of NFL quarterbacks in his time as a Green Bay Packers. So uh, the fact that he, uh, you know, spoke so highly of fields, I thought was pretty cool. Um Rodgers has been in the league for a long time. He's absolutely probably going to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's a one-time Super Bowl winner, potentially maybe a second time if the Packers are going to be the team this year in the NFC, although I hope it's not the case. If the playoffs run through Lambeau, I think you could see it happen. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool. I, I know he he speaks in the Pat McAfee show quite a bit. I managed to see that clip on Twitter. Um it was, you know, it was very it was very humbling kind of a little bit and I know I don't love using that word, but it's cool to hear from a guy with such a, a, you know, kind of resume in the NFL to speak so highly of Justin Fields. And, and again, I think ultimately we're not going to see much of Fields versus Rodgers in the next couple of years. But, you know, for a guy like Rodgers to say what he said about Fields, I thought it was pretty cool. I don't really have too much else to add to that. You know, again, you obviously bring up the the Brady praise for Mitch Trubisky back in 2018. And that was a good game for Mitch in 2018. And there was a lot of people who were advocating for Mitch after that game, I mean, he absolutely kept the Bears in that game. I remember watching it. It was a fantastic game. Things didn't pan out. And I think we're hopeful at this point that Fields has more of the intangibles of what makes a good NFL quarterback that we're not going to get a Mitch Trubisky 2.0. He's more of an athlete. He has a stronger arm. His ceiling is way higher. Um, so I thought it was pretty cool. It was, a, it was a very interesting clip. Again, I don't like the Packers, but I, I respect Aaron Rodgers for his game. He's It's very, very high praise indeed. Honestly, and you alluded to this, the fact that Aaron Rodgers, of all people who owns the Bears franchise, basically came out like a day or two after the loss and kind of signaled out or singled out Justin Fields and said, hey, this is what Justin Fields is. This is how good this kid can be. And he used a specific term or trait. He was just like, this kid has stark qualities or traits at the quarterback position. That's huge right there because you know what? We know what happened in Chicago, the weeks and kind of the days, the weeks, the hours, and the months that followed when Justin Fields was drafted. But I don't think that the hype around the country when it came to the Bears was that, okay, this is just another quarterback, and if they play him, there's a legitimate chance that he develops into one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But just his ability to kind of – 
Aaron Rodgers' ability to come in and identify Justin Fields ultimately really matters a lot because when you use words like star traits, you know what? You're basically saying, hey, yeah, guess what? Justin Fields has a lot of potential, which we already knew, and people around the league, like future Hall of Fame quarterbacks, are beginning to take notice. And when you look at this Bears schedule in 2021, I mean, let's just be honest about something. How many Hall of Fame quarterbacks are there, right? Or even just future Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Yeah, you go through week by week. Well, guess what? I'm Matt Stafford. I'm 50-50 on whether or not he gets into the Hall of Fame. The Raiders, the Bengals, the Browns don't necessarily have anyone. Detroit has no one. Then you have Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. Jimmy G's not getting in. Ben Roethlisberger's getting in. Well, Lamar Jackson kind of too early to tell. Kyler Murray too early to tell. And then Kirk Cousins not making it. Daniel Jones or Mike Lennon certainly not making it. Russell Wilson's a Hall of Famer. So there's about five to six Hall of Famers on this schedule. And the fact that one of them who's basically terrorized the Bears and the NFL over the last couple seasons has come out and said, yeah, Justin Fields has so much potential. That should really speak volumes as to where Justin Fields is in his development, but just that his ceiling is a hell of a lot higher than a lot of people expect. And by the way, let me say this. I look when you look at all five rookie quarterbacks right now from one to five Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, and Zach Wilson. Guess what? The guy that's number five is clearly Trey Lance because he hasn't played much. Number four, you have Zach Wilson who's just struggling and completely all over the place. And a lot of that is because the Jets aren't good around Zach Wilson, whereas when you Look at Zach Wilson. He's not the best himself, but the Jets also suck around him. Number three, you know what? It Right now, it's tough to say, but probably Trevor Lawrence because at the end of the day, let's just be real. I understand the Jacksonville Jaguars are dysfunctional, and they're a dysfunctional franchise. They're all over the place. You know, you have future Hall of Fame players or just players that are already in the Hall of Fame um, that tell me of all the stuff that's going down there. And then... Number two, you have Justin Fields, and number one, you have Mac Jones. Now, if you're wondering why Mac Jones is doing so well, it's because the Patriots have so many connections to Nick Saban and the football program at Alabama that ultimately they're going to run the exact same scheme that Mac Jones was comfortable with in college, which is just going to allow him to thrive. Further proof that you need to build the system to your quarterback and not build the quarterback to the system. doesn't work that way. Okay, but... Jones is number one. Justin Fields right now is number two because when you look at Fields, they he's one of the few rookie quarterbacks that basically is asked to do more with less in terms of execution. His offensive core is a bit more talented on paper compared to Wilson or even you could argue Trevor Lawrence. But at the end of the day, you know what? Fields is still finding a way to get it done, and this game was a big showcase of that, and people are catching on. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, he's bought into the Packers rivalry. I mean, I remember the clips uh, where the there was that clip that went viral of him saying how one of his former Ohio State teammates got drafted to the wrong team, a.k.a. the Green Bay Packers. You can get around a guy like that who buys into the rivalry. So I think ultimately right now, I definitely agree with those quarterback rankings. Um, I, I truly think that I've been very down on Zach Wilson and and I don't think he's going to be very good. I think Lawrence is struggling too, although I think if there is a redraft, I think the, the Jaguars still take Trevor Lawrence. But I've been saying it, and I will continue saying it, I think Justin Fields is the highest ceiling of all five quarterbacks. Um, obviously, it's been fun to watch Mac Jones play well. I, you know, He was a guy that 
was a potential suitor to the Bears back when the draft uh, season was going on. Um, yeah, there's really not much I can really add to this other than it's going to be really fun to watch Fields over the next kind of decade or so. I think he's going to dominate the Packers once Rodgers is gone and hopefully this Bears team gets figured out a little bit. I think I think the sticks will flip a little bit in the Bears' favor. But, uh, yeah, overall, um, though, back to the Rodgers comments, though, very, very cool. It was uh, It was cool to hear him say those things about Fields. Yeah, it certainly was. Now, Sunday night was a time of opportunity for a lot of people. And one of the people that got an opportunity, one of the players too, was Tevin Jenkins, who kind of made his first unofficial start. And the reason I say unofficial is because he was basically thrown into the game like three or four plays in after Jason Peters came down with what appeared to be an ankle or a knee injury. But the Bears are still undergoing further testing here on Tuesday to figure out what's wrong. But Tevin Jenkins' performance was everything you'd expect of a rookie. Because again, remember, let's flash back to last week against the Cardinals. Matt Nagy was asked, hey, is Tevin Jenkins going to start or is he just going to be a reserve? And Matt Nagy kind of gave a two-sided answer where 50% of it was, well, he'll just be depth. The other 50% of it was, yeah, you know what? We'll see. So I bring that up because you know what? Tevin Jenkins did have four penalties. Ultimately, when you look at Tevin Jenkins at the end of the day, where he's at is that this was a typical rookie performance for him. This was one of those games where he's going to look at the tape and he's going to realize that, okay, the false starts happen and the four penalties happen, especially the false starts, is simply because I wasn't in sync with the cadences or the rest of the offensive line. And then we look at this. The two holding penalties, those were just kind of his hands were a bit too inside and he started grabbing the lineman's shoulder pads. You don't ever want to do that. And so ultimately you get two holding penalties. Those are things, though, that are going to come with time in terms of where to place your hands and how to place your hands. And then in his past sets, I did catch a couple reps here and there where you felt like Tevin's foot speed and mobility is great, but he needs to anchor better playing left tackle and he cannot he absolutely cannot expose his chest way too much because edge rushers who convert speed to power like a Khalil Mack or a Miles Garrett or a Bradley Chubb or even a TJ Watt, guess what? They're going to take full advantage of that 10 times out of 10. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of what I would expect from a rookie left tackle who has yet to play an NFL snap, basically didn't practice in the offseason, coming off of back surgery, to kind of perform, you kind of threw him into the lion's den. And I think that that's important reps. Ultimately, you have to remember he he, he didn't practice pretty much all summer and all the, the early fall. And he's stepping into a game where the Bears didn't really prepare him for. I mean, how many actual reps was he getting with the ones? How many actual reps has he gotten with this group? I mean, that is going to just come with time. Now, I absolutely think it was a little bit of a poor performance. I'm not going to disagree with that. I definitely think he struggled. But you want your left tackle to struggle a little bit. It is the hardest position on the offensive line, and I will I will stand on that hill about that take. I'm not worried. I'm not that worried because he had to step in for Jason Peters, who, hate to break it to you, is 39 years old and was on a fishing boat when the Bears called him. His longevity, the fact that he got this late into the season is shocking to me. Uh, you know, I'm hoping that the Bears will allow him a shot to continue working with the ones. I think even if Peters is healthy next uh, Monday night or this Monday night against the Vikings, 
I would still rather see Jenkins play because you are four and nine. You are probably not going to make the playoffs. You might as well see what you have in both of these tackles. You and you traded up for Tevin Jenkins. Let him play. I'm not going to continue speaking on that because we've talked about that to exhaustion at this point. But overall, yeah, could have absolutely been better. He definitely was a factor in that strip sack against Fields. But I'm not that worried. Again, you literally threw the kid in to his first NFL game. He hasn't played a live football game and probably is almost arguably a whole year. I'm not that worried right now. Do I think they should switch him around with Larry Borum? Absolutely not. Again, we talk about continuity. Let's see what Jenkins can do at left tackle. Let him allow him to play against some easier upcoming defensive matchups. Again, I'm not that surprised that he didn't play very well, and I'm not worried. Yeah, it, like I said, I mean, there were ups and downs, but you also can't be too critical of Tevin Jenkins, kind of just knowing that this was the first time he had seen any real action. And you compound that with the fact that it was against the Packers just kind of raised the stakes even more. But listen, there's not going to be any Hurst hot takes this week because Joe's still at his Christmas party. Probably didn't feel guilty about missing the podcast, but that's okay because for the next couple of weeks, I mean, Sam and Joe are going to be taking this thing over because I'll be out for two weeks traveling internationally. So I want to have access to good enough internet to record a podcast. But anyways, we're still going to have Sam stocks. It's going to be here through the season, the off season, the regular season, the preseason, the postseason. But Sam, let's go stock up, stock down. How's the market doing this week? Give me stock down first and then we'll go stock up yeah absolutely so we uh we look on the offensive side of the ball uh with this week's stocks up stocks down uh stock down is going to be a player that we literally just talked about now the only reason why tevin jenkins is making it on this list and obviously again i did defend him for the most part it was his first nfl game and overall if he's going to start at a steady line he's going to dip a little bit you know he's been here the whole time because he hasn't played he finally gets a chance to play it wasn't the best performance, but it wasn't terrible. There is a lot of potential for him to go up the rest of the year, again, against some defensive matchups that aren't too hard. I think he's going to have a chance to explode if he plays. Now, I do try to always pick new players for both of these spots. So ultimately, there are some other players in here that could have been a stock down, but I decided to go with Jenkins. I'm very, very hopeful that that stock will rise the rest of the year because I do believe Tom Jenkins could be an absolute mauler on this Bears offensive line. Now, when we go to stock up, this is a player I've ta- we've talked about as well in this podcast tonight and a player who's been a stock up recently, but I decided, you know what, he deserves to be on here again, Justin Fields. I think he had a very, very strong outing against the Packers. Um, he led the Bears to, I believe, it was one of the highest scoring games of, I think it was definitely the highest scoring game of the year for the Bears offense. And again, we talk about some of those jives, some of the ways that he responds to things. He throws a pick six. What does he do? Next possession, scores a touchdown, leads the Bears down the field. That is very, very encouraging stuff. Therefore, his stock is starting to rise. I'm very excited to watch him play the last couple of weeks of the season. Um, he should play the rest of the year if he's completely healthy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's what the stock market's looking like at this point for the Bears uh, and for Sam's stocks this week. Yeah, well, I can certainly see Sam's stocks in terms of stocks up being Justin Fields because, again, Justin Fields, 
Has he had his ups and downs this season? Yeah. But what's critical is that some of his best games have come in the biggest moments. You look at San Francisco, Pittsburgh. Again, this Green Bay game, another one where – and then even the pa- the first Packers game, it was kind of like, yeah, you know what, guys? We're going to fully go through with this. We're going to try and go ahead and we're going to beat everyone. And then everyone seems to be mining into Justin Fields, which is so important now. Stockdown's a tough one because I certainly think, you know, you could make an argument for Tevin Jenkins, but if I was going to counter, I would probably say that Eddie Goldman, someone who is stocked down right now, because despite just being a nose tackle, guess what? Eddie Goldman was not as noticeable as you would have liked him to be on Sunday evening. Yeah, I think that was definitely fair again. If I was able to watch this game in its entirety, I may have picked somebody else, but I had to kind of watch the scraps and bit that I was able to watch. I thought Fields was good in his legs on Sunday night as well. Um, but, yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from with that, and I don't necessarily disagree with it. Um, again, next Monday night, I'll be able to watch the game in its entirety and make sure I actually track my stocks up and stocks down, but I don't disagree with that. I definitely think that's someone who could absolutely have made the list this week. Yep, and that's going to conclude it for this week's Sam Stocks. So, anyway, it's going to be a bit of a shorter podcast this week simply because Joe's not here. So, it's like 15 to 20 minutes worth of content that we're not going back and forth about. And we didn't argue about any memos this week either, which I don't even know what the memo for this week was. Was it like hoodie or sweatshirt over Showing a t-shirt? Showing up, that was the memo. Showing up was the memo. <laughs> oh, yeah. Showing up and trying to stay awake because I'm so tired right now, dude, was the memo. But, listen... You got four games left versus Minnesota at Seattle versus New York and at Minnesota. Listen, let's get right into this whole thing. I mean, tell me, what are you looking for in these final four? Uh, I'm definitely going to be watching the young players. Again, obviously a lot of the rookie classes played this year. You have Larry Borum starting at right tackle, Justin Fields, of course, Khalil Herbert, hopefully Tevin Jenkins. Uh, I know Kyrus Tonga got hurt, but I wanted to continue watching him as well if he's healthy. Um, and then obviously we'll see if Daz Newsom and Thomas Graham Jr. get the get the the thumbs up and the clearance to play. Not just the rookie draft class, though. I, I also am going to keep eyes on guys like Darnell Mooney, Dave Montgomery, uh, James Daniels, etc. A lot of young players on this team to continue watching. Jalen Johnson being another one. Um, which of course these are this is an obvious one because again you're four and nine. The at best the Bears go eight and nine. At worst they finish the season four and thirteen. Another thing that I'm going to be keeping an eye on for is how does Matt Nagy coach the rest of the year? Is he coaching like a guy who still thinks he can make the playoffs with a depleted roster, an inefficient offense, and mistakes that he continues to make? Or is he going to coach with a little bit of courage? Fourth and inches in this game, for example, it's the one that he got criticized for the most, and he even said, that was a mistake that I should have absolutely not made. Is he going to be a little bit more gutsy in these last couple games? Is he going to try things? Is he going to take opportunities? Is he going to take risks? Is he going to take gambles? Because ultimately, even if he's not coaching for the Chicago Bears in 2022, he is advocating to potentially get another coaching job next year, whether that is as a coordinator or an assistant in another NFL team, or even potentially maybe as like a college coach. Who knows? But I would like to see Matt Nagy coach with a little bit of courage, coach like he's got nothing to lose. Because I think ultimately that will be more fun, but also just kind of show like, hey, you know what? I can acknowledge the fact that at this point, my time in Chicago is probably coming to an end. Let me go out with a bang. And I certainly think he is going to go out with a bang because the Bears are going to play hard for Matt Nagy. 
and and you know, for me, what I'm watching in these final four games, as you use your trash can as a basketball hoop, which is such a middle school thing to do, but you still do it anyway. We don't talk about that now. There's a couple things I'm watching for in these final four games. Is how many wins can the Bears rattle off? I said this when we recorded the YouTube show with Max a couple weeks ago, kind of talking about well, when I did it, not you, but I said this. I'm like, look, you have. From weeks 11 to 18, you have some really winnable games outside of Baltimore, Arizona, and Green Bay. And again, the Bears lost all three, right? But then there were also a couple of winnable games in there like Detroit, Minnesota, twice Seattle, and the New York Giants. So this kind of four-game stretch that's coming up here from weeks 15 to 18, it is going to be very important because you need to be able to see, look at, and understand, hey, who can the Bears beat? I think what's going to happen is you're going to see the Bears go 3-1 and one here over the final four, which, by the way, that would bring their final record to 7-10. and 10. They, You know what? It's not a winning record, but... It is a losing record. Now, ultimately, 7-10 and 10 just seems like a good possibility because let's just be honest about something. The Bears always figure out a way to beat the Mike Zimmer-led Vikings, especially with Kirk Cousins under center. And then we look at Seattle and the New York Giants. Those are two games right there. When it comes to the Seattle Seahawks, we need to keep something in mind, is that the Bears have traditionally beat up on some of these weaker teams. And that's what exactly what Seattle and the New York Giants are at right now. And again, I know the Giants game is, what, three weeks away at this point? But guess what? Daniel Jones, there's not really any indications that he returns anytime soon because of a neck injury. So you might just see the Mike Glennon revenge game happening here in Chicago. You're muted. Ugh. Um, it's so funny because when you talk about season predictions and a lot of people, I think, thought the Bears were going to go 6-11 and this year. I said at best this is a ten and seven Bears team, and at worst it's a seven and ten team. Well, now you're sitting at four and nine with the potential of actually going seven and ten if you split games with the Vikings and you beat the Seahawks and the Giants, who you ultimately can beat both of those teams. It would be very Bears to win out and potentially sneak into the playoffs. I don't think, however, it's going to happen just because of the way the scheduling is and the way that the NFC picture is looking like in terms of playoffs, but. Eight and nine would be as close to uh, 500 as Nagy could get. And it would just be very, very funny if the Bears went eight and nine and the front office said, you know what? He needs one more year. I don't think it's going to happen. I think the cards are on the table. And I think ultimately it's clear Matt Nagy is gone in 2022. But these are four games that the Bears can at least be competitive in. I think it's going to be fun. Um, again, I talked about how the offense has a lot of potential if Fields plays the way that he played last Sunday night. Uh, I'm definitely excited to watch them play Monday Night Football against the Vikings. I, I don't like the Vikings, and I'm sick of everyone saying that they're a sneaky good team. I think they're a miserably coached team, and I don't think they're that good. They have some fun players on that team, like Delvin Cook, like Justin Jefferson, uh, but I think Kirk Cousins is bad. So it'll be fun to watch, um, and we'll see what happens. we got to take things a game at a time, and if they win on Monday Night Football, we'll be back on Tuesday night of next week to break it down a little bit. Yes, we certainly will. And again, so the Bears have a 7-15 game and a 3-0-5 game and then two 12 o'clock games. So a couple primetime slots there. The one 3-0-5 game is because the Bears are traveling to Seattle on December 26th, I believe it is. But anyways, guys, thanks for joining us this week. We're 
be a kind of a shorter episode but make sure you're following us on twitter youtube facebook tiktok and instagram at fireside bears make sure you're following myself and sam on twitter at usaid koshan at shy sports sam check out our work on the bear report as well as empire sports media be sure you are continuously following us we're gonna have a lot of great off-season talk like comment and subscribe on the youtube channel which has like 210 subscribers on it um and then follow our guy max smith esm on twitter as well too just because max helps me do youtube a lot but bear down ladies and gentlemen i'm so sleepy i'm gonna edit this thing get it up there and then get out of this place bear down stay safe y'all bear down